Hello and welcome to Just Plain Sense, the Equality and Diversity podcast, with me, Christine Burns. In this episode, we continue with some more coverage from the recent series of conferences which I organised to look at the gender equality duty and what it means for NHS trusts. In the last two episodes, we've heard from community stakeholders Karen Moore from the Ruins Resource Centre and Peter Baker from the Men's Health Forum. This time, there's an opportunity to hear from one of the policy staff in the Commission for Equality and Human Rights. Merrin Wells is the Commission's Transfer of Expertise Manager, a post she also held in the former Equal Opportunities Commission in an equalities career that spanned 25 years. Her expertise lies in the areas of education, employment and the law's requirements surrounding the provision of goods, services and housing. She also managed a project looking at gender equality in the NHS and recently worked with the Royal College of Nursing, advising HR managers in that sector on the gender equality duty. Merrin was one of several EHRC managers who contributed advice during our three events to help NHS managers understand more clearly what the Commission expects when it examines equality schemes for compliance. Here's what she had to say. Right, I... I'm actually just going to start by giving my own little introduction about the gender equality duty. I've worked before, before the Equality and Human Rights Commission was set up and we opened our doors, as you probably know, on the 1st of October last year. I worked at the Equality, the Equal, I can't remember now, Equal Opportunities Commission for nearly, nearly 25 years, but not quite long enough to get the golden watch or whatever I would have got if I'd just made it the 25 years. So we just closed a bit too soon for me. But throughout all of that time, certainly since the race equality duty came into force, and you probably know that that came about as a result of the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, and then, so we had the race equality duty and then we had the disability equality duty and we still didn't get the gender equality duty. And we were pressing for that for many years. So it was great that at, we just managed to achieve that just before we closed, really. So it came into force in, in April last year, as, as again you probably know. And it was such a key thing for us It really changed the way that gender equality operated because until then, although the Commission could take its own enforcement action and conduct inquiries, a lot of what um, (coughs) tackling sex discrimination and when the transgender regulations came in, trans discrimination was about was individuals having to take cases themselves. So the onus was very much on the individual for anything to happen. And the gender equality duty came in and changed all that for the public sector, not yet for the private sector. Although we're hoping that in the single equality bill that, if not actually at the time of its inception but soon after that, there will be a private sector duty as well. So that's ideally what we want. But as our previous speakers have said, the, the, the NHS is a massive employer, a massive service provider and a massive procurer of goods, facilities and services. So whatever happens in the NHS can have a huge impact right across the board in so many ways. So it really is important. What you do really matters. And what I, if I was just running this as a workshop, what I would, ask, what I would be saying to all of you is at the end of this, um, what I want you to do is take, if you take one action point away 
that you will really put into effect, then I will feel that I've achieved something. Normally, I would actually go around all and say, what action point are you going to take away? But as this is a talk, not a workshop, what I'd like you to do at the end, after I've shut up, is to write down an action point. I know you'll be thinking, oh, there's lots of things that I need to do. But what I'd like you to do is just think about one that you will take away and you will actually implement when you get back to your workplace or whatever activity you are involved in in relation to the National Health Service. Right, I'll actually, I've covered the introductory slides now to a large extent. So, um, what, what I'm going to look at is quickly the Equality Human Rights Commission and the duties, the, the equality duties. What we are looking to you to do in order to get it right and what our role in that would be. So, I would also like to say at this point that we do have enforcement powers but we would be reluctant to use them. What we want to do is to encourage people and to enable people to get things right. And on our website, the address of which um, is up there and is actually on the last slide, there is a great deal of very helpful information. So if you look at our homepage and you go into public authorities, you get into all the different equality duties. And uh, there is a lot of, sort of very helpful stuff which we don't want you to copy, but is there to guide you through it. And if you look at that, then you really should be able to get it right. And also, you can phone up our helpline. You'll find the number for that is on our website as well. And you can talk to somebody. And as I said, you can email me and I can get in touch with Barbara on your behalf as well. So we want to be, we want to give you as much support as we can to enable you to get this right. So we're not just the bad guys in this, although we can be. So, as I said, here we are. We're in the new organisation. And I think it's also important to note that we, are not, we have not been the three commissions merged. This is not just the same, but all under one roof. We were, it was made very clear to us as staff that the former commissions have closed. This is a brand new commission. And certainly working within it, it that's how it feels. It feels like, well it is, it definitely feels like being at the start of something new and completely different. And in a way, the equality duty teams and, and the transfer of expertise team have been quite fortunate because we've been able to carry on our work pretty much as we did. But the exciting thing is that we do it across all the strands now, which has been absolutely great. Um, so it's, if you feel that the AHRC doesn't seem to be making quite the fuss about things or have quite the high profile that you would have hoped... It's because you have to think about this brand new body. We are having, I share this with you, we haven't had our budget signed off by the Treasury for this year yet. So there are technical things which are actually not helping us to really get going. But we are working as hard as we can. And you can see what our vision is, which is sort of something that Christine referred to. Um, we are looking to build a society built on fairness and respect um, people confident in all aspects of their diversity. So we want people to be more than comfortable. We want us, all of us in all of our diversities to be confident. And I think another thing 
one of the great things about all the cross-standard human rights is that it affects every one of us now. Nobody needs to think that stuff is about somebody else, it's about women, it's about black people, it's about disabled people. No. If you look at all the strands now, we are all young, old, we will probably become disabled at some point in our lives. We all have a sexual orientation of some variety. Uh, everything you can think of will be, we, we fit in now to one of those things. So it's very personal and that is a really useful argument as well to make. If you come against any sort of hostility or resistance, this is about us, it's about all of us now. Right, looking at the three duties, as we've covered, we've, we've got three separate ones and we're really hoping that in the single equality bill, which the government has undertaken to be in the Queen's speech in November this year, so it really is going somewhere now, thank goodness. Um, we've just got three at the moment. We're focusing on gender today, but as the other speakers have said, it's really great to focus on all the equality strands if you can. And we also appreciate that it's, it's a nuisance in some ways that the equality duties are different. And when we have a single equality duty, we, we're, we're pressing really hard that we should level everything up and that nothing should be diluted. For example, in the disability equality duty, you have a duty to not consult but involve disabled people. Now the government is looking to take that key word out so that in the single equality duty you'll just be asked to consult. Well what we want obviously is to have to involve everybody, not just consult. So there are things like that that we're pressing hard to do. And as we've said before, you know, the, the different requirements do reflect the difference in nature of the discrimination and just to sort of a quick example for example the race equality duty requires public bodies to promote good relations between different groups which was embodied for the first time in the race relations act and is not there in the other two acts but it's very much a part of the equality and human rights commission's remit good relations um, and i said uh, disability duty requires public bodies to take into account the needs of disabled service users and staff, even if that means treating them more favourably. So that's a slight difference as well. You'll see commissioning is there. Um, as you will no doubt be aware, the NHS is responsible for a huge amount of commissioning. And this requires you, when you are procuring commissioning services, to consider it in terms of the full range of public authority contracts, pri private finance initiatives, public-private partnerships, and what you can do, or what you should be doing, is asking service providers to actively demonstrate how they meet the requirements of the Equal Pay Act and the Sex Discrimination Act. You can ask them to provide you, if they've had a case taken against them, you can ask them to provide you with evidence of how they are addressing the issues of the case. And you can ask them to ensure that gender equality issues are addressed where they're relevant to the subject of the contract. So you are expected now in procurement not to just put things out to tender. I advised, some time ago now, I advised um, a big local authority about its tender document because it had a, a case taken against it which they lost. Uh, and their tender documents didn't have anything about uh, requirements to, you know, have you got an equal opportunities policy, etc. So they then included that sort of thing actually in their tender documents. So you can do that, so that it's very much embedded in the documents that you're using. Right, we've talked about that.
I'll just quickly go over these slides because I think our previous speakers have really sort of covered what, what we want to be looking at. Um, again, the, the main difference between taking a case under the Sex Discrimination Act and the equality duties and the gender equality duty is that sex discrimination really embodies the, the notion that people should be treated the same regardless of their sex. The gender equality duty is, about make, is not about treating people the same because of their sex. It's the opposite. It's about looking at what people need on the basis of their gender or their transgender status and making sure that you have something in place that meets those needs. And that's what equality impact assessments are about. You have a policy, but it's not enough to say, right, we apply this equally across the board, no problem. You actually have to say, well, if we have this policy, for example, if our GP surgeries close at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, can women with children get home, pick their kids up from the nursery, take them home for their partners to look at, and then get to the doctors? Well, no. So it's that sort of thing, right? It's something that looks as if it's the same, is not the same when you delve into it. And that's what that's about. Again, we're talking about more effective use of public funds, helping to meet the priorities in the national operating framework, which I'm sure you've all read. I've read some of it, and it's good stuff. But it, it certainly will help you, for example, in delivering services that meet the needs <coughs> of the operating framework. For example, it says keeping people well is one of them. Keeping people well, improving overall health and reducing health inequalities. Second one, ensuring you improve the patient experience, staff satisfaction and engagement. So if you've got a good equality scheme, you will be doing those things, which is a target within the national operating framework for the next three years. So it's well worth you considering it. Right, so the general duty is about paying due regard to the need to do this, eliminating unlawful discrimination, and harassment specifically mentioned, and transsexual harassment specifically mentioned, and to promote equality of opportunity between people. So, as I was saying, in practice, this means prioritising action that will address the most significant gender equality issues in your remit. And I've got my own couple of examples here. So, sometimes it means looking at a big area, which something that will affect a lot of people. So, for example, it is now becoming apocryphal that when a man says, I'd rather die than go to my GP, he actually will. Because the, the, the number of men, and I'm sure you bear this out, the number of men that literally would rather die because they know there's something wrong, but they won't go to their GP about it. It gets diagnosed, diagnosed too late, so they therefore suffer a much higher mortality than women in some, in some areas. So if you do something to address that, you're addressing every man within your area. For example, just quickly... Um, in the Midlands, the local health authorities opened a small um, clinic in a barber shop. And they discovered, so the men go along, they don't go to their GP because they won't. And they discovered that of the men that went to, the hair, to have the haircut and then went along for a medical check as well, 48% of them had an undiagnosed medical problem. So you have to think that is really quite serious. That's something that you're allowed to do now. In fact, you are encouraged 
to do that kind of activity. So there's that which would cover a lot of people in, you know, like 49% of your population. Then you've got a very small group of people, as Christine was saying, the trans community. But if you don't get it right for them, you might be excluding 100% of trans people from a particular service. So again, you're looking at the impact that that has. It might be only for a relatively small number of people but if it has a major impact on that group, then that is completely disproportionate. So you have to be looking at that when you're compiling your action plans. Those are the specific duties which we have discussed before. As you can see, we've got um, the gender pay gap is there as a specific duty. Now, the EOC was disappointed with the government response to this because we wanted them to include a requirement that every authority had to conduct a pay audit and they wouldn't do that. So what we have got is that every authority is required to consider the issue of equal pay and if they decide not to have an action point about it, they have to justify why they haven't done and that will be something that we're looking for. So it's watered down from what we wanted but at least it is there to some extent. So what we're looking for you to do is, like I've said, take action. And we're looking for, and I can never remember what the acronym means, so I've written it down, SMART objectives, which means, SMART means specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and to a time scale. So as the equality duties evolved, starting with race, going to disability and now to gender, they've gradually become less sort of paper-bound and process-bound and more about outcomes. So the, the gender scheme is really, when, if we ask for your scheme and we're looking at your scheme, we are going to be much more focused on, have you got the evidence? And if you have, what are you doing with it? What are you actually looking to achieve? And how are you going to measure whether you've achieved it or not? That's far more important than have you got a lovely document which you can send up and looks great on paper, but actually you're not putting it into practice. Because over the years, you know, we've done so much work, we've encouraged lots of employers to put in proper policies, which they do. But so many times we can go back and find that it actually hasn't changed anything. So it's very important that you can say, this has changed, this has changed something for the better, because we've done it. So again, clear, clear objectives. As I said, do the plans prioritise the most significant issues and are there major issues missing, which is something that you need to consider. We want everything to be evidence-based and again, previous speakers have said about gathering statistics, involving people just on a common sense basis. You know, are there user groups, are there groups of patients that you can actually get in touch with and find out what they're doing? Are there people that are not accessing health services at all that you can contact and find out what they're doing? And it's important also not to consider that we're all just women or men, that in fact we're young people, young women, young men, old women, old women, where people with different sexual orientations who are both women and men. So that we are different ethnic groups and nationalities. We have different experiences. So don't just think, oh right, I've consulted women on this and I've consulted men on this, so I know what I'm doing now. You have to take into account that there may be subgroups within that who particularly can't access services unless you provide them in a particular way. 
So that's again something else we will be looking at. How good is your evidence base? Have you consulted or, as we would prefer you to do, involved people, including the trade unions? Um, so we're looking, well here it says actually for both women and men, it's women, men and trans people and subgroups within those. So is there information about how you intend to, ongo- to consult on an ongoing basis? So we'll be looking for that as well. And is there a clear link between your consultation and your choice of objectives? So it's all about, I mean, it, it, it's all about producing something that re- is really clear, that we can understand where, where, you've, where you're coming from. You've looked at where you're coming from. You know where you're going to get to, and you know how you intend to make that transition. So, impact assessment. Yes, start early. This isn't just about adverse impact, but have you missed opportunities to do more to promote equality? Again, it's not prescriptive, but to ensure that you can identify issues for men and women. We have to do now, well, for some time we've had to do it in my work, we have to do impact assessments about everything we do. And Christine's right, it becomes second nature to you. Once you start doing it, you think, well, all right, I'm going to do this. What effect is it going to have on all these different groups? Am I covering them? If I'm not, if I'm providing something, say, specifically for men or specifically for women, so that, obviously, the impact of that is that one whole gender is excluded. So how do I justify that? And am I meeting a real need? And you have to prove that you will be doing. But there are so many different needs that you will be able to do that. So that's, that's what that is about. And you need to make sure that you can identify issues for transsexual people as well. Being a very small group, trans people can often be left off the agenda. So we want to make a big noise about making sure that you include them. Um, this is our role. We've got, as I've said, we've got the helpline. There's a code of practice and there's our website. So you can access all of those. If we feel that your, well, that basically your authority hasn't complied, your trust hasn't complied, we can issue compliance notices, which involves going to the county court and getting them, and we can take you to judicial review, or not just us, an individual can take you to judicial review. So those are the things that can happen to you but we don't want those things to happen to you we want you to be able to get it right but bear in mind this is a legal duty so it is backed up by the law and there are penalties as well as benefits benefits if you do it penalties if you fail to do it Um, we will we are tackling this I mean you can imagine it's massive I'm about to stop We have to be strategic in our approach. We can't look at everybody's policies right across the board, but health is continuing to be a major priority for the EHRC, so we will be continuing to focus on healthcare provision. And that's where you go for further information. And now I would like you all to write down the one action point, if you haven't already done it, that you are going to take back and implement. That was Merrin Wells from the Equality and Human Rights Commission lecturing an audience of NHS managers in Preston. The public sector equalities duties are bound to be a subject we come back to in the future too. For now, from me, Christine Burns, it's goodbye and thank you for listening. Just Plain Sense is a Plain Sense Limited production.